Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. So today we've officially launched our lineup for next year for our short-term mission trips. In addition to those you saw on the board, we'll have high school students traveling internationally. We're going to have middle school students doing a stateside trip, and we'll also have several other teams that will be going uh, regionally and and throughout the United States. So a number of teams going out next year, and we're very excited about that. I pray that some of you all maybe will go for the very first time or maybe your 10th time. Um, But we really want to fill these trips up, and we are excited to go back out to the world for the world. And as we've been going through this sermon series called For the World, I've been thinking about my own experiences with short-term missions. I've had the opportunity to go on a number of trips over the years. Uh, And the very nature of short-term missions is that we get outside our comfort zone. We take on new challenges and new opportunities. It just places us in a different headspace, in a different culture, around different people, doing different things than we're used to doing. And that builds our faith. That's the way it works. We, we have to trust not in our own strengths, or our own comfort, but we have to trust in the Lord in those circumstances. And I've had the privilege of, of being a part of lots of unique challenges on mission trips. I've, I've rushed blooding, bleeding teenagers to the local ER. Uh, we've had members of our mission team get bit by poisonous spiders. Uh, I've witnessed to children, young children in Harlem and in the Bronx And in backyard Bible clubs in rural Appalachia, I've preached to federal prisoners in Mississippi. I haven't been sent to prison like Paul, but I've gone to prison and shared the gospel. I've worked on a lot of bad paint jobs, crawled under flooded homes, mixed concrete by hand, gotten sick eating the local cuisine multiple times, lost a lot of luggage. But I tell you, There are things that we read about in the book of Acts that have not happened to me yet. And I'm grateful for that. I've never been beaten or flogged. Never been shipwrecked like Paul. In fact, I'm pretty sure if I was going on a mission trip and I got in a car wreck or a plane wreck and I survived, I can tell you the next place I'd be going, home. (laughs) What do these guys do? They just keep on going. You know, if what happened to them happened to me, I'd be going, okay, it's in the books. First missionary journey done, right? We almost got stoned. Let's just, let's just call it, let's call it good. But they keep going. And when we left off last week, Paul and Barnabas, they've been run out of town by a targeted persecution and opposition. It was instigated by leaders of the Jewish synagogue in Antioch. And they keep on going. In fact, the next place they go is a place called Iconium. So I've got a little map here for you. They go from Antioch down to Iconium. They're only going to be there for a short amount of time, just seven verses. And then they're run out of town again because there was a plot to stone them. And they go to Lystra. And then later they'll go on to Derby because they actually get stoned. And we see here in chapter 14, many of the major themes I introduced a few weeks ago. We see the ongoing zeal of the missionaries. You've got to have a lot of zeal to keep going when they faced what they faced. We see the power of the Spirit at work in a number of ways through salvations of people converting to Jesus. We also see the power of the Spirit here in this instance doing miracles, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. 
And finally, we see that it required radical trust in God to trust in him in the midst of every challenge they face. So in chapter 14, we see more of what we've already seen in chapter 13. They continue to preach the gospel and they continue to receive a mixed response to their message. So a couple themes I want to point out. The first one is that in this new city, Iconium, they experience fruitful preaching. I'm glad that it starts with good news because by the time we get to verse 20, there's a lot of bad news for our missionaries. But it begins by telling us that they went to the city, they share the gospel, and there are people who respond. And I think that's what keeps them going at the end of the day in the midst of the challenges. That the people are, in the midst of the adversity and the persecution, people's lives are being transformed by this gospel. And they receive a somewhat positive Response as they go to the Jewish synagogue. That was the first place they went. It was out of obedience, right? Paul wrote, the gospel is the power of salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. There was a priority in the preaching of the gospels to go first to those who would have had a background in faith and to try to build upon the Old Testament scriptures and show them that Jesus was the Messiah who had been promised. So they went there first. But as we saw last week, there are many who rejected it. And so they had to branch out and continue to take their message to the Gentiles. They also continue to go to important cities. So Iconium, where they're at here at the beginning of chapter 14, it was an important city. It was the juncture of several important roads and trade routes and was also the location of important governmental activity. This was a pattern in Paul's ministry and and, in Paul's co-workers. They would go first to big cities and in fact this strategy has been adopted by some modern movements of church planting. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York. It was where Tim Keller was the pastor for many years. And they started a movement called City to City, where they focused on planting churches in cities in America because cities are the places that people are now going. Mass exodus out of rural areas towards cities. So cities are where people are. They're also the places of cultural influence. And so Paul and his ministry, they focus on these major cities. They go from Pisidian Antioch now to Iconium. And there they spent a considerable amount of time, Luke tells us, and they boldly proclaim the message of the gospel. And it's confirmed with signs and wonders or miracle. So the next theme we see is fantastic miracles. These miracles are there to affirm the message that they're preaching, to affirm the authenticity of their apostleship, that they're the real deal. We hear of one specific healing miracle, which is the healing of a lame man. And I'll go into that in more detail. But these miracles would have been many of the type that Jesus did in his ministry. And in fact, Jesus empowered his disciples to go on and to do miracles in his name. One particular place, Matthew 10, Jesus said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received and freely give. Now, you may not be aware of this, but you're in a church that's part of a tradition that we believe that miracles still happen. Amen? I believe that miracles still happen. They're not guaranteed. God doesn't always do a miracle. In fact, every sick person in the New Testament was not healed. But God did miracles then. And I can draw no conclusion where I believe that the Bible says that God no longer does miracles. Now, often people say, how come we don't see as many? And maybe we hear more stories about them happening in other places. Well, 
I've got one possible explanation. It might not be the right one. It might not be the only one. But the pattern in the New Testament, in particular in the book of Acts, is that the miracles travel with the message, and the miracles are there to authenticate the message. And so as the message of the gospel breaks into new territory, reaching new believers, there tends to be activity, miraculous activity, that confirms the message. Right? Because the message is always the priority. Right? What people need the most is not a miracle. They may need a miracle. They may need healing. But what they primarily need is they need the miracle of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Right? So we never want to get caught and focus on the miracles. The miracles are there to point to, to authenticate the message. So in the ministry of Jesus, he does miracles. Why does he do that? To prove his message, which is the kingdom of God, is breaking into history. The kingdom of God is here. You don't believe it? Heaven is invading earth. I'm going to do miracles to prove to you that God has come down and he is doing a new thing. And so the supernatural activity proved his message. It's the same in the book of Acts. The miracles authenticate the messengers and their message. They say, we have, we have an important message for you. God has done something spectacular through the person of Jesus Christ to make salvation possible for you. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, through his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, salvation is offered to you. And we're going to prove it by doing miracles. We're going to prove to you that our message is from God, that there is a power and an authority behind it to show that it is true. This is the way miracles work. So maybe we're not seeing them as much in our context because this is not necessarily a new place where the gospel is moving forward. It could be the future for us, but we see the gospel continues to grow in many places around the world. In Central and South America, in places in Africa, the church is growing. In places like Iraq, where you wouldn't expect it, the church in China is growing. We're getting reports. The gospel is moving forward. We're just not seeing it a whole lot here. We pray that we will. Amen? Because we're for the world, but we're also for Tulsa. So we want to keep preaching the gospel to our neighbors. Because... I believe the United States is a strategic part of the global movement of the gospel. So we need to be for Tulsa as well. As it often does, powerful signs and gospel preaching leaves the city divided. So verse 2, we see further division. The Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles. They poisoned their minds against the brothers. Those who don't believe, they, they attack the character Again, they have nothing really to say to attack the message. They attack the character of the apostles and poison their mind against them. Don't believe these guys. They're not trustworthy. The people of the city were divided, verse 4. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. And once again, we see that the gospel unites and the gospel divides. It brings unity among those who will believe, but it can also cause division by those who refuse to believe this good news. So the culmination of this opposition is a plan, a strategic plan. They're going to stone Paul and Barnabas. Now, by God's grace, the apostles learn of this plot and they flee to an outlying area on this particular occasion. And what has happened here? Well, what's happened is the scandalous message of grace has enraged self-righteous legalists. Some of the Jews, many of them, Again, the scholars, those who knew the Bible the best, they couldn't believe the gospel because they were trusting in self-righteousness. 
They were trusting in being good enough. So they're enraged by this gospel because they cannot believe. It it sounds too good to be true. Maybe at times you find yourself struggling with that legalism in your heart, thinking that you should be able to earn it. Well, yeah, I believe that that God loves us, but I've got to do this and that in order to earn his grace. That's that legalistic spirit pushing up against the gospel. And the gospel dispels all of that. We have to believe it by grace. So the apostles learn about this plan and they move on. And God, and God continues to call them to do what they have been called to do, which is to share the gospel. And in the next town, in Lystra, verse 8, we see a fantastic miracle. There was a man there who had been lame from birth. And God heals this man through Paul. And what results is pure pandemonium. People begin shouting, surely these guys must be Greek gods. See, they have no context for the God of the Old Testament. They don't understand. The only context they can think of is that surely these guys must be gods. And the only gods that they knew or had heard of were the Greek gods. And I love this detail. Luke says they shouted in the Lyconian language, right? And their their original tongue, their sort of heart tongue, adding to the pandemonium of this whole scene, they just began shouting out, you know, uh, resorting back to their heart language and not speaking Greek. So then Paul and Barnabas don't even know what they're shouting. You imagine this, right? You go and you, you're preaching and then you heal a guy and then people start going crazy and you're like, is this good? Is this bad? I don't know. And thanks, Rich, for reading with such gusto because, you know, people don't do that very much with the Bible. And it was. It was a chaotic scene. So why do the crowds confuse Paul and Barnabas with Greek gods? Well, we have evidence that this area was was saturated with this idea of Greek mythology. They believed in the Greek gods. There's archaeological evidence that there was heavy uh, worship of these gods as local deities. There were there were stories about how the gods had visited this area and caused good and bad things to happen. The whole scene is a classic case of confusing the message with the messenger. And once Paul and Barnabas finally figure out what's going on, they said, no, 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 guys, listen, we are not gods. Now, there's a God who has caused this miracle to happen, but he's not an idol. And he's not a man like us. He's a living God. And so Paul bursts into uh, this, this message where he uses what I would call a flexible evangelism to reach these people in a different context. He says, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from worthless idols to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Now, it's interesting is Luke only includes excerpts of two of Paul's messages in this entire missionary journey. He goes to many cities, he preaches over a long period of time in a lot of different contexts, but we only get up excerpts from two sermons, and they're very different. In Acts 13, Paul was preaching in a synagogue, primarily to a Jewish audience, and where does he begin with his message? He begins with the scriptures, because they would have been familiar with that. And so he tries to argue from the Bible something they would have known and understood 
to get them to Jesus. That's the first message. The second message is here in a different city by a very different audience. And it's mostly a pagan audience. They did not know the ways of God. They were not, they had no foundation or worldview background. So Paul here doesn't begin with the scriptures. Because it wouldn't have meant anything. If he said, well, the Old Testament tells us that Jesus was coming, so here he is. Nothing. So where does he begin? He preaches a very different message. He starts with general revelation, as opposed to special revelation, which is the Bible. General revelation says, okay, look around at the world, the natural world. What kind of conclusions can we draw? And he argues that there must be a God. And in fact, he argues four things about God here. I'm going to go through them really quickly. This is basically his sermon. First of all, the nature of God. God is not a worthless idol. He is not a man like us. He is alive. He is a living God. Point number two, this living God is in control of all things. He created everything that you can see, and he is in control of human history. He is all-powerful. Point number three, this God has shown patience and mercy. And finally, he concludes with the kicker, which is, and by the way, this God is good. He gives you good gifts. Anything good in your life? Does rain ever come to water your crops? Do you have food to eat? It is because the goodness of this benevolent God. And so he preaches a sermon to them, but it's not from Scripture. He begins with a broader understanding. And yet we also know that this wasn't his only message. And the language that Luke gives us shows that he did preach the message of grace. He did get to the specifics about who Jesus is and what he's done. But his starting point was a very different place in the different context. I think we can learn from this. This sounds crazy to say out loud, and some people might throw rocks at me for this. But, you know, sometimes scripture is not the place to start. That's what Paul did. He didn't start from Scripture when he was in a context where the people would not have understood Scripture. Now, Paul always got there. He never changed the gospel. He never added to it. He always got to the gospel. But his starting point was different depending on his audience. He showed a flexibility to his evangelism. And so we always get to the specific good news. But our starting point can be simply... A point of contact, the universal quest for transcendence, the search for meaning, the desire for love and belonging and community, the search for freedom, the search for authenticity. What are those things that people get angsty about when they're alone for a moment and they're not doing and they're just simply sitting? Those big idea things you don't really think about because you're too busy to think about and every now and then you do, or maybe in the middle of the night, you're thinking about those things that just blow your mind and blow your heart. Those big ideas, that can be a point of contact because that's human. It's a human experience. And we can say, what is your experience of life? What makes sense of the world? And what if we put that in the framework of a God who was all powerful, created everything and set everything into motion? And as we observe the world, what kind of God is this like? And then eventually we can take them to scripture and show them who this God is. In fact, I was just reading the other day as, as part of a Bible reading plan. I came into a part a little bit later in Acts that we're not going to get to in this series. But there's this moment where Paul is preaching to these really smart people and they have this idol and it says, an idol to an unknown God. 
And Paul says, hey, friends, guess what? I know who that God is. Let me tell you who he is. Right. That's the mic drop moment. You worship an unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. Game over. But we have to build to get there. Are you guys tracking with me? A couple of you. I'll take it. Wherever we begin and whatever platform we use to deliver the message, we must always end with a proclamation of Jesus Christ. Let me be clear. We must preach the specifics of the good news. But I want to suggest to you that scripture teaches us by way of the example of Paul, the on-roads to get onto that highway can vary. There can be different ways to get to that point where we help people to see their need for the truth, the specific truth that is revealed in Scripture. And even here with Paul, they preached the message, they did miracles, but we're told near the end of this account that there were still those that didn't get it. They didn't understand. We're reminded that only God can can take away the veil. Only God can save someone. We can't save a single person. We're called to share the good news, and only God can open their eyes to see And then in verse 19, something startling happens. And we see the final theme in this section of faithful perseverance. It says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So that's the cities where they had just been. Now they're in Lystra. So people from the previous cities where they had been sharing the gospel have hunted them down, tracked them down with a plot to try to kill them. In fact, they stone Paul and they think that he is dead. And they leave him outside the city. And says that some of the believers, in fact, probably some new converts that Paul had just witnessed to in the recent days and weeks, they come out and they find Paul. They bring him inside the city overnight. And then it says the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. What a line. Because like, if that's me, again, game over. Like first missionary journey is done. I almost died. Just please take me home. We'll get to it later. And these crazy guys, they believed this gospel. Their lives had been changed by this gospel. They believed this gospel was so true and so good and so life transformational that they just had to keep going and keep sharing. If I'm honest with you, I don't have that much faith. I don't have that much trust. I'd love to. I don't. But Lord, would you show to us how good your gospel is? Would you show to us the call on the life of each and every disciple that we would make this gospel the center of our lives? We would give everything to it. We would give our resources and our energy and our effort and our creativity to spreading this good news with as many people as we can, that we would be willing to go around the world or across the street. God, give us that faith and give us that trust. Finally, I want to close with this scripture that Paul wrote near the end of his life. We believe 2 Timothy is probably the last letter that he composed. And near the end of his life, he's actually reflecting on this very moment in Acts 13 and 14. His first missionary journey is what comes to mind of all the adventures. Adventures. That sounds so positive. He says, You, however, you know all about my teaching. You know my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, 
persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? Well, I was almost stoned and then I was actually stoned and almost died and run out of town. You know the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Should have cut that last verse off the reading. (laughs) We're not all going to be called to be stoned to death for our faith. I'm grateful for that. I hope that's not in the cards for any of you. And I hope it's not for me. But the call of the gospel is a radical call to come and to lay down our lives. To pick up the cross. Not the cross, but to pick up the little cross and to follow Jesus. And we have no idea where that's going to take us. The adventures that await us, the challenges and the opportunities to trust God. It's simply a call to come. Follow me. For the world. Will you join me as we pray together? Father God, I pray that you would give us faith and grace and the trust to follow you no matter what comes into our lives. God, that you would help us to persevere in the midst of even just the normal challenges of life that have a way of beating us down and discouraging us. Father, I pray that you would help us to persevere. Give us a gospel perseverance to be good news people in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, the teams that we're a part of, the groups and organizations. God, will you use us where we are right now Father, I also pray that you would begin calling people to go out with us into places that are far away. Lord, as you have called us to share the gospel near and to share it far, Lord, we trust that you're going to provide the right people. You're going to provide the right resources. You're going to provide the right prayer covering for us to go out next year and to share your good news. Lord, may we persevere for you. May we be faithful to you as you are the one who is always faithful to us. God, make us into a people for the world, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.